Hi, this is Jay. And it's Ray. And this is Dope Talks. Dope Talks. Today we have a special guest with us, a local artist. Uh, a friend of the family. Her name is Ashley Deering. Say hi, Ashley. Hi, everybody. Uh, she's an artist who works uh, for Painting with a Twist. Is that right? Correct. Excellent. Uh, do you have any Instagram or any Twitter page, anything that you would like to plug? Uh, yeah, I work mostly off my Instagram. It is at Ashley Deering Art. Excellent. And if you're looking for us, we are Jay and Ray Talk across all platforms, and our email is Talk at gmail.com. Um, before we get started, um, we'd like to talk, we're going to talk twice about this. I'd like to talk about the art show, the big art show that you have coming up. Why don't you tell us a little bit about that? So this is actually really exciting to me. Uh, a few weeks ago, early February, I think it was, I received an email and I almost didn't respond to it because I thought it was spam. I did some research. This organization called Raw Natural Artists found my Instagram page and said, we love this. We need more Cleveland area artists. Would you be interested in booking for the House of Blue show in March. And I said, absolutely, I'll be there. That's great. All right. Ray, what do you got for us? What do you want What do you want to talk about? Where do we get started here? You know, it's so hard to know how to get started with art. Looking at our, looking at our outline, I have a pretty good flow here. You know, everybody always wants to know uh, where you started studying art, why you study art, what you like best about art, all that good stuff. Uh, if you apprentice with anybody, you know, so I mean, a little, a little bit of background, and then of course, um, I also run a small company called I Paint Akron, and I do something very similar to what Painting with a Twist does. And uh, I travel to places where people are typically drunk and painting. And uh, once we hear a little bit about your background, I definitely want to hear some of your um, what are your wildest paint night gone wrong stories because uh, everybody's got one. Uh, I told one to a class today. But a lady who very enthusiastically drank out of a paint cup. She three martinis into the afternoon and missed the martini <laughs> class, and we all just stood there and let it happen. So I, I props to her for committing. You know, she really. Uh, I I knew she I know she knew I could tell in her eyes just as soon as it touched her lips, and then she was just like fuck it, and I was like you gotta commit. That bitch just you really went for do. It. You have to commit. Yeah, total commitment. So. Um, you know, those are those are always fun. Uh, I don't know if, if it gets as wild uh, where you guys are. I know that you guys do the uh, the brown bag. Perhaps not everybody is as inebriated, but when it's when they're at the bar and the bartender just coming back over and over again, it's real easy to uh, entertain yourself. So, uh, I guess first, tell me where you decided, where in your life you decided being an artist was the was the right direction, where you studied or are currently studying, and sort of what led you. Um, you know, obviously a lot of us are, are working in studios and also doing these sip and paint events because it's... When people ask me how long I've been doing this, I hate giving the answer my whole life because it's not true. My five-year-old fridge drawings don't count. Yes, they do. <laughs> I will allow it. We'll allow it. <laughs> Can't Then my whole life, really. Um, I guess I noticed pretty early on, maybe fourth grade, that I took more time on the art projects than other kids did. I was always getting A's. I wasn't a teacher's pet by any means. It was just a lot easier for me. I didn't learn how to paint until I was 15. I got really into it because my grandma was an oil painter and it 
just sort of stuck with me. It, it came a lot easier than drawing even did. I mean, that wasn't much of a struggle either. I didn't think art was going to be my career. I started school for graphic design. I didn't think you could make money in the art world. And I quickly, quickly learned that design is not art and I'm not a designer. I put my paintbrushes down for about four years and did not pick them back up until the beginning of, I think, last year. And it just blew up. People were telling me things that I had never realized before about my skills and my abilities and the way that my work made them feel. And I thought, you know what? That's probably what I'm supposed to be doing. If it feels that good for everybody and me, that's a good fit. I think the bottom line that we've come across, and Ray and I have talked about this before, and uh, we'll get your opinion on it. Doing what you love may not always pan out to getting rich. And I don't think that should ever be the goal. I think the goal should be going going to work when it isn't work. I mean, sure, you're there to make money. You're there to pay the rent or the mortgage or what have you. But you're there to enjoy yourself. And when you have a talent like that, like you do, or like Ray does, it's, it's awesome to also share it with people, even if they're drunk and belligerent, because there are going to be a couple of people there who I think are really going to enjoy themselves and it's going to stick with them. Maybe they pick it up later on. And I think that it's a really cool thing. And, you know, I come from a family of artists. I mean, Ashley and I are kinsmen. Ray and I are kinsmen. I don't have any fucking artistic talent whatsoever. It's not in me. Stick figures, none of that stuff. But I can appreciate it. You know what I mean? You can appreciate it. And sitting through a class, I think, would be a good time. Even if I wasn't good at it, you're still socializing. You're still talking to people. But the fact that both of you can share your talent with somebody like that or a group of people... You never know. Even if you make an impact every other class and you get one person every other class, that's still something that's going to stick with somebody for a very long time. I would like to think so, anyway. Uh, so, how long have you been with the current company that you're with? And when, you know, how did you find out about it? How do you like it? All that. So, I have been there since I think I walked in last August and I was not looking for a job. I was getting ready to put on a fundraiser for the company I actually work for, the banks I work for full-time, and I realized that I had never done a paint and sip. I didn't know how they worked. All I knew how to do was paint. So I thought I'd go to that one. It had good reviews. Really pay attention, enjoy the class, and see how one of those was actually run. The owner of the building actually was there that night helping for the class, and he came over to me. He knew I was there by myself, and he said, how you doing over here? And he looked at my painting, and then he looked at me, and then he looked at my painting again, and he said, how long have you been doing this? And so I gave him the story, and I had an interview two days later. And I got the job by the end of the next week. That's tremendous. All right, as long as we're sharing that, I used to, uh, I used to work for Paint Night, which is the, the big multinational conglomerate nightmare. Um, I'll, I'll, refrain from my, I'll refrain from the excessive Paint Night shit talk, although it is my favorite topic in the paint and sip world. Um, they decided to pull out of our um, region, and my partner and I were running Yakin and Canton. Um, she was the franchise holder, and I was her, her management. So um, she moved and wanted to transfer the license to me. I was perfectly content to continue working for them. Um, they had a decent bonus structure, and I wasn't really bothered by working for someone else because it was easy and fun and it was good money. And they decided oh, they were going to not renew any licensing for Akron and Canton. So there was this big gap. And I was like, well, fuck it. I can fill that gap. Um, but I originally got into it. I was uh, 
working as a volunteer coordinator slash art therapist at a hospice. And uh, we were having some issues, some legal issues. Our management was doing some uh, cool things, and not, not medically acceptable things, uh, paperwork-wise. And I was looking to get out because I'd reported them to the feds and pretty sure they were going to shit can me anyways, which they did. And I happened to see a Craigslist ad, and uh, Melissa Deutsch was looking for, um, hey, Melissa, was looking for uh, someone with an arts background, preferably a BFA or an MFA, with teaching experience, who uh, likes to hang out in bars, can carry 75 pounds, and drives a large car, preferably a Subaru. And the headline was, do you, do you, are you an artist and have wacky hair, or something like that? And I looked at this checklist, and I looked at myself in the mirror. It's the biggest fucking grand slam I, ever. I looked, I looked in the driveway, total hat trick, bro. And um, I was like, well, shit, I'm a fucking shoo-in. So I just called her, and I was like, hey, I'll manage a company for you. So um, that was great, actually. We're... We still talk on a pretty regular basis. She does some amazing art as well. She's very cool and um, kind of learned everything I needed to know there. Uh, I find, and I don't know if it's because I travel, uh, so I don't know if it's the same. Uh, I also do some part-time teaching at SoSo Artsy in Northfield, and she's a, a location, brown bag type thing. Mm -hmm. And um, I do like drawing classes and stuff for her and different types of things, and that's a lot of fun. But... Uh, I find a lot of people just wander into that, or they, they, they see an ad for it on the Facebook or wherever, uh, you're the part of the community, and maybe social arts has done something at the library recently. Or, um, whereas with uh, traveling, I have I the same people, and they pop up all different venues, like they, they're looking for me. Um, and that's kind of cool. Uh, I get a lot of people who, who say, you know, well, we really only come to yours. So we wait around until, you know, you're, you're nearby, or we see what you're doing. It's quite more. a compliment. It's really cool. It's really cool. And uh, one of their biggest complaints was that uh, a lot of other these types of social uh, painting instruction, they didn't feel like they were learning anything about art. So I always try to throw in like some art history. Yeah. All of my paintings that are stacked up over here, each one has like a topic. Yeah. So I'll talk about that a little bit or an artist. Like, maybe we'll talk about Jane Turner or we'll talk about Matisse, you know, um, or, or a style, you know, just more general, like a brushstroke type or a color mixing. Um, solution. And uh, I always find that to be, um, people seem to really like that. So I don't know if, you, if you've encountered that yet. I know you're kind of, you're new to the spot you're at, but like, do you get a lot of repeaters that come back and they're, they like you and they're like, I, I like what you have to say? Yeah, I get that often. I actually have people tell me quite frequently that I am genuine. And I thought that was a strange compliment at first because I love the people I work with. I think all the artists sure. at, at my location are amazing a strong group of women, but I'd have people tell me, I love coming to your classes because I feel like I can do what you do when I leave. You make me feel like I'm not just some stranger walking in making this terrible five-year-old painting. I feel like I've accomplished something when I come with you and you celebrate it with me. And I, that, I could paint something terrible on stage while I'm teaching them, and I'll still feel like a million bucks if somebody tells me that that's how they feel when they leave. No, that's quite a compliment. You know, for both of you to receive that kind of compliment from, I guess you call them customers. I mean, I call them students. Students. I think students is by the time they leave, friends. No, I, that's excellent. Mm -hmm. That's quite a compliment. That at least gives you the fire, burns the fire inside you, keep going for the next thing. Um, I think Ray's going to take the next uh, one because you guys uh, share a, a common uh, employment, I guess you could call it. So she's going to take the next one. Oh, yeah, okay, so the, it's the drunk and belligerent guest uh, question that I alluded to. 
All right, so one of the things that I, that I didn't care for about paint night, um, and it's actually, I feel it's kind of liberating to be able to say this to someone who also works in the industry. There, um, there was a lot of pressure to get people to drink more. Mm -hmm. So, you know, they were constantly encouraging you to tell people, drink more, it makes the painting pretty. It's like, drink more, I'll have to call you a fucking Uber home. Um, <laughs> That's great. I've called, I've, I've actually confiscated keys from guests. Um, I've had, I've had some interesting, um, but the worst of the worst that I found, and then I hate to say this because um, I'm a day drinker myself, <laughs> so uh, I, I hate to, breakfast beers are like a, a standard in this house. But uh, so I hate to I hate to be so shitty on the day drinkers, but they're the worst. And I used to do one on Sunday afternoon at Cafe Brico in Fairlawn, and um, it was at like two thirty in the afternoon, and uh, they'd come in and it was it was just Martini Sunday or Mimosa Sunday or whatever the hell they were drinking. And I had one woman; she must have had three martinis before we got started. And we would do an hour and then do a short drying break and let people get their eyes away from the paintings, like calm the hell down, take a stroll, go pee. I always told them to get another drink, which I tried not to because they, they really didn't need to be told. <laughs> um, so she, she orders like her fifth martini. And at this point, her painting's going really well. And it's this, it's this standard, shitty, grayscale, bonsai-looking tree with the, with the red cherry blossoms, you know, Seriously. the one that everybody has. <laughs> And it, it sounds like fucking hotcakes, so whatever. I, I, had, I would love to have them. <laughs> yeah, I, you know what? I just put some in the, in the burn pile of Jeff's. God damn it. Uh, yeah, search my Instagram for hashtag artfire. So she's doing pretty well. Everything's going okay. Her tree is not a total butcher job. And um, she's getting a little weird, though. She orders, so she, she's, she's halfway through, like, a, I believe we're on the fifth martini, right after the drying break. The waitress comes through and she orders another. Now, she's not done with the one in her hand. She orders another. She's getting these Godiva chocolate frou-frou. I, I walk down the aisle, and this is a room of 50 people, so I have an assistant artist helping me. You know, this is a huge room. I walk away. I'm gone for, I'm not even sure, two minutes. I come back. Her entire canvas is red. She's just, she's smearing red paint everywhere. And... The waitress walks over to her with the with the martini on the tray and like looks at me and takes a step back and I shake my head. Don't give that bitch another fucking martini. <laughs> don't you do it. And and she says to the waitress, says, I don't know what to do. And I was like, I wouldn't give it to her, man. I'd cut her off. And I said, but you know what? I don't work here. I, I'm just the hired help, so no big deal. <laughs> I turn around and walk away again. The waitress sets the drink down, leaves the room. I hear bang. <laughs> She has fallen blackout, face into the red canvas. She's taken her easel down and the woman sitting across the table from her. Now, that woman's painting is stuck to her ample bosom wow. because we get a lot of ladies with a larger fuselage at these kinds of events, especially on Sunday. Um, there's paint water everywhere. This woman's friends are trying to pick her up. It gets worse. <laughs> you mean better. The martini doesn't fall down. This is a key. It's key that the martini doesn't fall down. So her friends carry her to the bathroom. I hear this commotion maybe five or six minutes later. Everyone's running around. They carried her to the bathroom where I don't know if she, if she vomited first and then hit her head on the counter or hit her head on the counter first and then vomited. But they took her away in an ambulance. That's a fucking and, night out. <laughs> that's a fucking three o'clock in the afternoon. Out that's a Sunday. real art bender. Art bender. Big time, bro. I mean, it was... Um, 
and I, you know, I don't think she was hoovered any schneef off the countertop or anything, but she could have used some to sober up. And uh, yeah, they took her out at the same place. Uh, not even a month later, someone snuck in a baby. Yeah, that's another story wild. for another time. Totally wild. <laughs> so I check that everything's okay. The ambulance comes. They take this woman away. I make sure that her friends have her car keys. Is someone going to take her car home? This stuff what? is really where the party's at. I What's mean, gonna... this, is, this shit's going down. <laughs> I can't wait What's to hear happen? what she has to say about What's going to happen? You know, da-da-da. So I get everything straightened out. I calm the room down. Someone says out loud, what's going to happen to her martini? And my assistant turns, Shelly, turns and looks at it. She goes, I'll fucking drink that. And <laughs> slugged the entire martini down like one gulp. And I was like, way to go, Shelly. She's like, free martini. And everyone was like, yeah. It was incredible. But that's yeah, cool. that's the day drinkers at Brico were, they were positively the scariest. Um, Sounds like it. Yeah. I mean, it was... Uh, the fact that she ended up in the ambulance. I mean, she took her out in the woo-woo mobile. <laughs> the ambulance. Like, you know, the amber lamps. So, yeah, I mean, that was it. She uh, she just blacked right out. Just face down right into that um, that hot red fucking mess she made. And so, I hope yeah, she kept the painting. I don't, you know what? I don't remember what happened to the painting. I, can't, I couldn't even tell you. If, if it was left there, I probably took it home and painted over it. And made a demo out of it. <laughs> So, what's your worst one? It's about hummus. It's, it's already funny. Any, any story that leads with hummus <laughs> in the context of this <laughs> conversation is going to be amazing. Hummus or Hamas? I'm confused. Well, it started out as hummus and then it became Hamas. Not good. <laughs> so, here's the story, Morning Glory. It was a Sunday. I don't know what it is about Sundays. Like, we designate that Friday and Saturday nights are get wild. We, we advertise that way. Sunday afternoons are meant for time with Grandma, with God, at peace right, with it's yourself. Right, the Lord's Day <laughs> with fucking free martinis and getting <laughs> shit-faced. You can still come into our class. It's, it's a two to, two to five class. It's a three-hour class. It's called Paint Your Pet. It's workshop style, so it's not like the normal, like, we're teaching you this concept. Yeah, Everybody's doing the same way. It's we teach you technique, and we give you your picture. We give you a customized paint palette for your pet, and four of us walk around for three hours and help you get it just right. And teach you the same techniques. It's serious. People usually don't drink it though. Okay. These ladies, three of them, fluffy dogs to paint, brought in, I think, tequila. I'm really not sure. I don't now know if they were, they were pulling it out now of their purses. It's a party. Oh, out of the purse? <laughs> out of their Definitely purses. A party. At least it wasn't out of the pants. And oh my. They, I whirled around because by the time you reach the eyes, nose, and mouth, that's when people give up. They're like, no. So the artists are hopping from seat to seat to help them fix their eyes and their nose and their mouth. So I reached sure. these ladies to fix the one, fix the other woman next to her. This one lady, I think she was the one who brought the tequila. I'm like, can you fix my eyes? I'm not sure how I got it. It's fine. Let me sit down for a second. So I fixed her eyes, and she's just right here over my shoulder, breathing tequila into my nose mm -hmm. and onto her painting. And I'm like, oh, wow, I hope somebody drove her. I fix her painting, whatever. We get a group picture. She's on her way out. Here comes the hummus. It's in her grocery bag, but she brought all her snacks. She was really prepared, treated herself real nice. There's a hole in the bag, and I'm standing about a foot behind her. Oh, and I shit. see it happen in slow motion. <laughs> I'm not kidding. This was like the slowest. It happened in reverse. It was so slow. The hummus. Two, a two-gallon tub of hummus, I swear to you. I kid you not. Industrial Costco-sized hummus. One gallon. Yeah. Falls out of this lady's bag. Pops right open. Hummus everywhere. 
pumice all over the floor. Oh, and I, of course, I saw it, and I'm the closest, so it's got to be me. Right. So I grab a stack of paper towels, and I'm scooping up the hummus. You're going to fucking backhoe with that kind of hummus on the floor, man. Tequila Tina is walking through <laughs> the hummus. And I'm on my hands and knees, clean up the hummus, Cinderella, and she is just walking through this hummus, trashing the hummus everywhere. all over the floor. All over. And I'm like, ma'am, on my hands and knees, let me get the hummus off your shoe. I'm already down here. Like, who's gonna, like let's put up. I got it. She's like, no, it's fine. I'm like, no, it's not. It's not fine, Karen. It's not. She keeps walking, walks through it again. The pile I've now scooped up and I'm ready to put in the trash bag all spread back out. She's like, oh, I'm so sorry. Bag rips completely open. And then there's grapes on the floor and kiwi on the floor. What and some crackers. Show. Crackers get crushed in the oh. hummus. And finally, her friends are like, aren't you going to offer to help her? And I'm getting, like, a new bag. I'm still trying to clean up the hummus. She's still trekking the hummus across the, the entire studio now because she's following me like a lost puppy. <laughs> You're her hero, bro. <laughs> and she goes, no, I think I'm going to go outside before I make a fool of myself. And I kid you not. <laughs> I, I kid you not. I looked at her. <laughs> we have to fix that. <laughs> I looked at her. And it took all my strength and 22 years of patience to not say it's too fucking late for that. <laughs> and she left, and I think I was angry for the rest of the day. I got the hummus cleaned up, though. That is an amazing story. <laughs> amazing. So, senior senior art lady to, uh, to young and nubile art lady, um, <laughs> I will tell you this. It won't be many more years that you do shit like this before she says, I need to leave before I make a fool of myself. And you just turn and look them right in the eye and you're like, it's too late, sweetheart. I've, I've said that I don't know how many times I've had people do all kinds of sort of stuff. And then they're like, I'm so sorry. I'm like, you're not sorry you're enough. You're not, though. You're not sorry enough. It doesn't make a big, big fucking deal. I find it's really easy to be, to be super nice to most people. Yes. Um, most people, they come in, they're excited to be there, um, they're, they, they want to get advice from someone who, who's got experience and, uh, or their friend went to your class and said, you're just so nice and you're, you're so helpful and you make, you know, you make me, they made my friend feel like she was good and, you know, I, I'm coming here to throw, so most people, it's really easy to be nice to them. Even if they have weird body odor or they have tequila breath, or anything like that. It's really easy to be nice to people, but it's really tiring trying to be nice to people who are really fucking hammered. They, it's, it's that joke about being the only sober guy in the room. Like it can be, it can be difficult. Um, I took my, I took my, um, my gentleman friend with me. Uh, I don't remember why. I had to teach a class, and he wanted to, he wanted to come. Right. I was like, well, you want to paint? You're not, you know, what do you want to do? He's like, oh, I don't have to paint. Like, I just want to see it. And I'm like, okay. Well, and like it, to experience yeah, it? Yeah, just to see what, what, what am I like when I'm, when I'm teaching? Am I different? You know, my different ray than I am when we're, uh, you know, being normal people? And, um, you know, the answer is no. I told him it's like, basically, uh, I'm teaching art, but I sound like a Zumba instructor. Uh, I do deliberately. I do deliberately raise my voice above its natural register. I felt that and in my soul. Yeah, you feel it in your soul. I'm telling you, you're like a fucking Zumba instructor, and that's okay. Um, you know, I play bad music and dance around, and do all kinds of stuff. And uh, he was what he was most amused by were were the drunk people um, not following instructions. 
And he's like, what do you do with those people? And I'm like, just let them go, man. Just let them go. And the, and the next day they wake up and they look at that shit and they're like, fuck, man, I was really hammered last night. <laughs> and that's really, you can't, you're not saving them for themselves by fixing their shit. So yeah. it gets out of control pretty fast. Here's, here's the question I have for both of you. And both obviously can answer. I would like to hear both your perspectives. Maybe it's because I don't do it. I would be really, really pissed off because Andrew, these people are paying for it. Either somebody got it as a gift, somebody bought this to show up, right? Now, obviously, you're going to have some people in there who could take it or leave it, let's say. They're doing it for the experience of saying, let's do something fun. It's like going bowling, for example. We're just going to have a good time. But there's other people like us. When we go bowling, we're there to bowl. Yet, sure, there's the beers and there's the nachos and all that fun shit and seeing yeah, people and hanging out. But at the same time, I'm there to shoot a good score. I'm there to try, okay? Does that frustrate you as a teacher when you do have students, as you call them students, you call them friends, what have you, people who are actually trying hard to get what you're trying to teach them? And I can't help but think that those other people are legitimately a distraction from those other folks who really are there to try and to learn. Why don't you go ahead, Ashley, and tell me what you think, and then we'll pass it along the way. So I find that middle-aged women, which are usually the audience for these classes, take two things very, very seriously in their life. Pumpkins and snowmen. God, yes. When you come in to paint a pumpkin, man, you're coming in for the pumpkin. They're bringing virgin lemonades, no beer, no wine, no nothing. They're coming in for pumpkins. <laughs> but then there's those women that are like, not pumpkins. I want beer. And so they come in with 12 packs and they come in with the extra big bottle of Barefoot. Right. And they get hammered. And instead of pumpkins, they've got like turds with sticks on the top of them. Oh, Jesus. And I can see like, because I always encourage people, walk around the room, see what everyone else is doing. And I can see the type A's who are making perfect pumpkins look at all the other people and they're like, am I doing it wrong? Did I miss something? Is it supposed to be that color? So it, I think it is a distraction. Um, I think it can cause confusion, especially if you're sitting next to somebody who's just wee, wee, like the, the hummus lady. I'm sure she was probably <laughs> a distraction for the people behind her. But I think that's where the artist comes into play. You've got to corral the sheep a little bit, but when they're out of hand, they're out, they're out of hand. There's not much you can do, and you just got to, like she said, just let them go. Just let them let go. Them go. Right. It's a lot safer that way, I think. Fair enough. I have found that the vast majority of people are not distractions. Um, at least, it, uh, tremendous distractions. So, so these are a lot of times these are drunk people who are they're fucking hammered, mm-hmm. but they're just they're they're just in there moving their hands around and they're you know they're not eating the paint, but they're kind of you know getting close to that. Um, when I find a big distractions, a lot of times it's, uh, it's when they come in a large group together and then they yes. get hammered. So, um, you know, Barley House in Akron also has a 50 person party room. I had literally 45 people signed up and a group of 12 came in with a birthday cake. They were planning on treating the, the public event as though it was their own private party. Yeah. They had about 10 people with them. I said, I don't have enough seats for you. I'm sorry that, you know, that you didn't purchase a ticket, but you'll have to leave. You know, they didn't want to leave, didn't want to leave, didn't want to leave. And I was like, listen, I really don't want to have to escort you out. Um, so Because you really don't. I didn't, you, you but really, I, yeah. I was going to. So um, those who were able to stay, um, you know, that were signed up, 
and uh, didn't push us over our seating limit were so loud and so obnoxious. And I could see that all of the, I mean, it was 12 people out of literally 50. And they were fucking distracting the entire room, screaming over me while I was talking. And, and I'm doing my best to, like, you know, keep them under control. And uh, at some point, I start to smell pot. We're in, we're in Farley House, inside the room, and they're fucking passing a joint under the table. And I walked over and I said, you're all done. Get the fuck out. You're done. Wow. I'll refund your fucking money. Get the fuck out. You, you can't be here. This is a non-smoking establishment. I'm sorry. None of these people, you don't know who these people are here that, right, they, you right. know, I, I mean, <clears throat> I'm, I'm, I mean, this, this is called Dope Talks. I mean, like, we, we love the fucking grass around here. Um, can't confirm. Can't confirm. Texas size fucking 10-4. But um, when people are when people are here, for example, Ashley, I don't know what your full-time work circumstances are, whether you have randoms or, or whatevers. Mm -hmm. um, I, I don't light up, I don't blaze in my house when without asking first. I have a friend who works for the Federal Reserve. Right. Um, and when he's here, I, I tell all the potheads, I'm like, all right, guys, you know, um, friend who works, I don't want to say his name, friend who works at the Federal Reserve is here. Right. And um, that means you got to smoke pot on the porch. It's a little common like, courtesy. Well, it's a common courtesy. But that's exactly your dude, bottom line, though, I don't right? want dude to lose his dude to lose his job. But at, but when you're at work, yeah, and at the barley house, it's affecting your bottom. Oh yeah, line. it's affecting my bottom. Because what if you're time. like, no, they're not going to let you come back in there because you allow this kind of behavior. Well, to go on. you know, like I, I I can't come back in there. Um, what if the the other thirty people in that room decide they're never going to come and do another class with exactly. you again? Um, you know, I, and there, there's, it's a, it's, it's a less competitive um, environment than it used to be a couple of years ago when it was brand new, and there was tons of companies. Like a lot of companies have, have gone away. Like Paint Night went away, and like um, I don't think we have a Pinot's Palette around here any longer. There, I think there's one up in Westlake, and I think that's the closest one to here. But I think or is that up Yeah, Coffee and Canvas died. Uh, Georgie stopped doing uh, Ready Set Go because she got a better job in, in closer in her field teaching teaching mm -hmm. kids teaching so um you know there's not there's not as much competition as there used to be but it, you know at the time when i went down at barley house like, those people could have just been like we're never coming to paint night again absolutely you know or oh ray is that ray that used to be at paint night and now she's wherever i'm not going to she let those people get high in our fucking room right you know i can't have that so um when it's a big group and they're all rowdy as fuck yes it's it's, it's no good but um for the most part, honestly, JP, as as even though we've got a good amount of funny stories, they're um, the really good ones are few and far between. And and most people, even if they even if they're slurring their words by the end, are really they want to be there, mm -hmm. you know. And it's not a, it's not a cheap event, mm -hmm. you know. I mean, I well, charge I charge considerably less than than paint night did. Um, you know, I think prices have come down uh, since it's in the last couple of years, but it's not an inexpensive night out for sure. So, canvas isn't cheap, paint's not cheap. Um, you know, I mean, it's expensive. And plus, if you're going somewhere that's got a studio, you get to pay to keep the lights on. You know, I have, I have the benefit of not having a utility bill, but I get to drive my car everywhere and drag all these art supplies there around. Is an expense. You know, there's an expensive bill. Absolutely. In um, you know, and then there's, you know, then there's the, the, the expensive service just in general, mm -hmm. you know, cleaning up after these people. 
Um, I think one of the things that bugs me the most about it, and I don't know if this will be true for Ashley because uh, she's working at someone else's studio. Uh, I don't like it when people disrespect my art supplies. Um, I, I don't I don't like it when um, people are. I tell them repeatedly to be putting the paintbrushes face down in the water and they leave them out and they're getting crusty. Um, they don't realize, you know, that I, I've literally in my utility sink right now three hundred dollars worth of paintbrushes. People do not realize how expensive that shit is, and they're expensive to replace. I found out how expensive they were when I got some for you for Christmas a couple of years ago. I do love these. I do love these. I'm so these glad that I actually asked. I know asked. I was looking at that. That's like, there's a whole set of them. Like, the only one I don't use is the fan. I never use a fan. I brush. love the handles. Uh, the handles. So I know, dude. It's amazing. So, I mean, so they're, 10 points they're for me expensive. For out yeah, the right 10 points for getting yep. a good gift. But um, that drives me crazy. Is, yeah. is the disrespect of materials more than anything. Or, um, you know, I, I used to get bummed out too when people would come in. They would talk down on themselves because that's yeah. uh, it is a, it is typically a room of middle aged women, and they're that kind of attitude is contagious. I think well, women I agree are completely. women are, are taught to down talk themselves. Um, I had two or three nights of it in a row, and by the time I got to it was like a Wednesday, and I was out at Beef O'Grady's in Wadsworth, and I, I just couldn't take it any longer. And they all walked in, and every one of them was bitching and moaning, oh, I'm gonna be so bad at this, like, and. And I started the classes. We're starting 10 minutes early. We're going to do a little exercise. I, I, I have been through three days of this shit, and I'm not doing it again. I'm not going to listen to this all night. Here's the deal. I don't know what it is about women. Like, y'all think that you need to uh, talk down, to your, down on yourself. You feel bad about yourself. Like, you can't go out and be proud that you're trying something new and you're doing something, you know, exciting and fun with your friends. I said, so every single one of you that's sitting there, I can't do this. I'm so bad at this. I'm going to be terrible. It's going to be terrible. I don't know what we're doing here. I said, because of you and because of the last two nights of my job, everybody is getting up out of your chairs. You're going back out that door. You're going to take your whiny hat off and put your happy hat on. You're going to walk back in here with a new attitude. And for two hours, you're not going to shit talk on yourself. I'm not going to listen to it. It's not fucking healthy. And sorry. You trapped in here with a feminist art teacher for the next two hours. That's just how it's going to be. And uh, and they did. They went out and came back in, and attitudes improved greatly. Attitude is such a so an important, big. It's, it's such an important thing to any anything that you're doing, uh, whether it's your crappy nine to five job, uh, it's your extracurriculars, or what have you. And you know, I see that a lot when I started doing martial arts again. I picked it up thirty years after I stopped. I went from when I was seven years old till I was nine. And then I started playing football as a young man. Uh, and then I went back after I graduated with my bachelor's. I said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this for myself. I'm going to go back. And how many people who remain nameless, first of all, say, aren't you a little old for that? Aren't you a little overweight for that? Uh, do you think that you're going to be able to recover properly? And a lot of people say, well, I, I wouldn't be good at it. Whether they were male or female. Both sides of the gender divide, I got a lot of that from people. I don't have time for that, or I'm not going to be good at it. You weren't, a lot of, some people were born with these skills. There's no question about it. Bruce Lee was born to be a martial artist, okay? Michelangelo was born to be a painter. But those skills are still acquired over time. Those talents are cultivated. Those talents are practiced, okay? Joe Satriani wasn't born with a guitar. He might have had the skill inside of him, or maybe it was a desire to learn. 
that's another thing that people discount too, is the drive to learn how to do something. But it's amazing how that crab mentality can kind of pull you back down in the bucket. You want to, why don't you give me your thoughts on that? I agree with it completely. Um, I was the same way when I was younger, and maybe it was why I thought I needed to go into design or something that wasn't art. Because I see all of these established artists, and I see these incredibly lifelike images or beautiful abstract art, and I'm like, I can't do any form of that. This is, I'm terrible compared right. to this. And I remember my dad talking me through everything I ever went through as far as my art goes. There were nights I was up at 2 o'clock in the morning almost screaming and ripping my hair out and saying, I have to start it all over again. I don't have the time. And he said, don't start all over again. Look at what you've got. It, sometimes it does take somebody else telling you, it's okay. You're being too hard on yourself. But it's, it's also hard when you see other people that are at it. They have an easier time with it. Or you have people telling you, you're too overweight for that. You're too young for that. You don't have enough experience for that. I think you have to be able to turn that into motivation. But for some people... They are their own worst critic, and so if somebody tells them they can't do it, they say, hell yeah, I can't do it. You're right. I'm, I'm terrible at this. I'm not right. going to succeed. Um, so I think it is good on an artist or a teacher in any any profession's part to kind of give them tough love in that situation and say, listen, I'm not, I can't teach you if you feel that way about yourself. I can't teach you how to love yourself. I can teach you how to paint. I can't teach you how to love yourself. I think that's an excellent point. Excellent point. So, shifting gears, we're going to move on to a question that both of us uh, came up with we wanted to ask you. You know, it's really important as an artist, if you wouldn't mind telling us, who are your favorite artists? Absolutely. I Number one is Vincent Van Gogh. I think that his post-impressionism work is and was even better than his, uh, who he apprenticed for. I think it's unfortunate that he didn't get to love himself enough while he was alive to see how important his work was. Um, I think the colors he used were beautiful. I think the subject matter was beautiful. But I have a soft spot in my heart for Pablo Picasso because when I learned about him in the Cubism movement, my teacher presented it to me in a way that made perfect sense. The camera was invented during Picasso's time, and suddenly artists were no longer capturing history because right. they were not needed to, a photograph could do it. Or at least we thought that we, we didn't need them to. Exactly. So Picasso said, well, now we don't have functionality, we, but we're going to die off if we don't figure out something else to do. So it, essentially what he said was, so a camera takes a picture, takes an image, and busts it up into a bunch of little pieces and then puts it back together digitally. He said, what if I bust those pieces up and I don't put them back together right? What if I take a concept and I flip it, and I show you what it could be, or what it actually is, or what it actually means, or how I see it. And so he painted violins, and the strings were at the bottom right, and the, the bow, I think is what it's called, the bow was horizontal at the top, busted up into five or six different pieces. And when you look at it, you just see a bunch of brown on a gray background, but the longer you look at it, you see the violin, and it means more to you when you finally figure out what it is. So I think... I have a soft spot for Picasso because he kept artists from dying off. He gave them a purpose again. Abstract art, or things that were not just recorded history, allowed art to thrive and become what it is now. Fair enough. Uh, favorite artists? Um, Cezanne? Mm. Um, Keith Haring? El Greco? Franz Mark. Um, all wildly, all wildly different, um, but wildly hugely important to me. Uh, 
El Greco, I think, really was the first person to to um, look at his limited subject materials. He was often working for the church, so it's, you know, really, there's only demand for a few types of things, you know, from that, that that's your, your principal, um, you know, employment. He's got a great piece. He's got so many great pieces. He's got a great piece that Crivelli almost copied gesture for gesture. That's at the um, Chicago Museum. That's probably the closest I'll, I'll ever get to, to to looking at Crivelli is the closest I'll ever get to El Greco, but still, <laughs> um, you know, I, I love that. I'm a huge fan of, um, I'm a huge fan of anything, anything that's wild like that. Um, so, you know, I, I, I tell people, although my, I would say my, my work is, I don't know. I don't know how to describe it. I, I would, I guess, I guess it's not necessarily reflective, but I, I always tell people that I'm like a, I'm a, a, a fove. I'm a, a new fove. But I'm, I'm interested in the wild things. I'm interested in the bright colors and the, the strong gestures. I'm interested in. Um, I'm less interested in art for what it means as a, as an interaction or as a, as an historical uh, meditation or, or a storytelling even. I'm more interested in simply what art does to the eyes. You know, I can I can watch uh, a beautiful foreign film without subtitles in a language I can't speak and just absorb what I'm seeing visually. I, I like I like things that stimulate the brain through the eyes. So I have a pretty diverse um, interest in artists and also in art history movements. Although I love the Fauves, I love the Fauves for their their lifestyle very very much like mine. So I, I like. I like this idea of, um, of the, the uh, almost outsider, bohemian, gypsy artist. Um, you know, part of me almost, I always curse Andy Warhol. Every time I see shitty art, I'm like, it's a fucking Warhol's fault. I hate that guy. I always complain about him. You know, but I love Keith Haring. So, you know, it isn't that pop art is the issue. It's, it's uh, I hate the idea of the artist as, the, as a celebrating. That's, uh, and I think that art, art's, art history's big mistake and, it's undoing itself now with the rise of, of so much. People have so much more access to art now and art creation tools, including digital tools. Um, but, but materials have become so cheap, relatively speaking. Mm -hmm. um, there's all this access to photo manipulation and, and online paint programs and Google SketchUps and free things that where, where people now are, it's so accessible, and I, I, I like that it's undoing itself. I really hate the artist as, as celebrity, and, and in that sense, I really do like the, the, the Crivellis and the Caravaggios and the, you know, the, the Da Vinci's, because you know, none of those guys were just one guy. They were a whole workshop of people. And I, and I sort of, I think people thought that that was old way of doing things and, and was not good, but I really think that the artist as a, as a celebrity, uh, as funny as I think Duchamp's urinal fountain is, yeah. I really, our mutt, come on. I have a guitar named Mutt after that sculpture. But uh, as funny as I think it is, it's, it's a fucking goddamn shame. Mm -hmm. um, I really I don't like the artist as, you know, and in, and in some sense, Banksy was doing a bit of that um, right up until this last stunt. That was awesome. Um, well, it would have been awesome, except the, the point of it, the point of it wasn't, I'm absolutely certain that the, and I, Banksy could come on the show and argue with me about it if he fucking wants to. But what I perceived, I'm with absolute certainty that uh, he hadn't got he had got uh, any news about himself lately. So he was going to create some news about himself. Everyone's like, "Oh, look how great this is!" Pointing out the futility of art buying world and 
oh, you know, graffiti art's meant to be transitory and pop art is supposed to only last for a little bit of time. And, you know, oh, and, and, and I'm like, I'm like, fucking media whore. That's all I saw. Um, and I'm not, I'm, I'm not impressed. You know, when, when there was a real anonymous Banksy thing going on, before shit got weird and Banksy was a household name, it was just people seeing beautiful shit. Uh, and I, I really like that. So I, I like that which stimulates through color and through shape and, and not necessarily concerned about storytelling in the way I think that many artists are. This put me on a put me on a fast track to art hell with many of my peers, but fuck them if they can't take a joke, I guess. I agree. So movements, um, generally, I mean, outside of just artists that you like, do you have a movement that you feel inspired by? Ironically, I don't. I don't consider myself an abstract artist. Um, I do. I do real life. Like I do a lot of portrait work for people. That's just something that I've always done. I, I really like doing it. I like practicing texture on fur on animals, hair on people, skin tones, all that stuff. But I like um, like the post impressionist era, which wasn't exactly abstract. It was getting there though. It was changing up texture. It wasn't that lifelike oil painting that we saw in Da Vinci. I'm a Michelangelo, so I like that it started to change it, made it unique, made it worthwhile. But I really do like um, cubism and everything that followed after it, because it, like what she said, it was stimulating the sense of what you saw. It was you you looked at it, and maybe you didn't actually get what it was about, but that was the point. It wasn't necessarily yeah. about something. It was just nice to look at it, and it. Maybe it calmed you down. Maybe it got you excited. Maybe it it inspired you to do something in your music or your writing or whatever it is that your craft is. I think it's nice if art doesn't actually have a purpose or a particular meaning to it, because then it belongs to everybody, not just who made it. I think that's a great statement. So going into the next question that I have for you, uh, where do you see yourself in the next two to five years with your art? specifically? I would hope my goal is to if not have my own studio space, be renting a studio space somewhere. And instead of working for a bank full time, I'm working for myself full time and I'm, I'm be your own boss. Yes, creating things for people that they want to capture and remember forever, making my own original content that people can say, Wow, yeah, I want that over my couch or wow, I just want to come look at that for a few hours. Can I just come look at that? Yeah. So ideally I would be in my own studio space and that would just be taking up my life. Excellent. So you guys already touched on abstract art, and uh, I'm not trying to be a dick in the punch bowl here. All right. So dick in the punch bowl, turd in the punch bowl. Both. Dick turd toilet punch bowl. Either, either way. <laughs> Whatever. Either way. All right. Um, this has been a uh, since long before your your family became part of our family. Uh, Jay and I've had a an ongoing philosophical. And aesthetic <laughs> battle of wills on the topic of abstract art, um, and I, I think, I think it's one of those uh, sibling questions that will never be completely resolved. <laughs> the thing is, but maybe you can help with that. <laughs> the thing is, my uh, my parents are watercolor artists. Okay, and of course, Ray paints everything uh there's three artists that hang in my house uh my mother and my father and ray i have a hard time understanding abstract art because when i'm told i'll give you a great example my mother made an abstract painting and she said what do you see and maybe i'm two-dimensional 
Maybe I'm not smart enough to get it, and that's okay. I looked at it, and I said, I see a fucking mess. And she goes, no, 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 no. No, can't you see it's this and it's that? And I said, from what I understand, I am supposed to see what I see on that canvas, and what I see is a goddamn mess. I don't understand what's happening. And it got to the point where I told Ray, you want to paint me something? I'd love to have your art in my house. I... When, I, when you go to the, the Cleveland Art Museum, and I'm not a religious person, but I can appreciate the religious art. Okay, that's the Christ, that's Madonna, that's the Archangel Gabriel or Michael, that's Satan, it's whatever. I, under, I understand what I'm looking at, and I can appreciate its beauty regardless of how I feel about the story it's telling. It's still beautiful because somebody put a lot of time and a lot of effort in creating that. I respect that. I understand the story that's being told. She painted me flowers because I said, oh, if I can see a painting of flowers, they're fucking flowers, and I understand what I'm looking at. That's not the shit on abstract artists. I understand. Like you said, it belongs to everybody, and I get that. But at the same time, I have a hard time understanding it. So maybe you could, you could uh, chime in, chirp in, and tell me what you think. I think it's important also that, JP, that you draw a distinction between what you're calling abstract art and what uh, we might call abstract art from an art history perspective. Um, for example, uh, the Picasso uh, woman seated on couch, uh, the yeah. one I did at my house, the big mural I did at yeah. my old house, that's not what you're calling abstract art. Although, in, from an art history perspective, that does... That does fall okay. into I understand also that. like Marc Chagall, Franz Marc. Uh, these would not be considered representational art by any means, but they're certainly um, they're not the type of abstract art that JP is talking about. What JP is talking about would would fall somewhere around like uh, Basquiat, back to Pollock, maybe Marion, a little bit of this. There's only a very vague suggestion of subject material. It's not. It's not a it's not a funky cubist cow or Franz Marx's uh, jumping yellow cow. You know, it's yeah. not um, Matisse's woman with fishbowl and, and you know with all the polka dots. I love that one. I mean, he's talking really like really way out there stuff. And so to to the point where I think the perception about super abstract, non-subject related art is that. If you don't get it, you're not smart, that that artist is smart somehow. And, and then the converse is that artists here all the time, well, my fucking five-year-old could have painted that. See, but you know what? Your five-year-old yeah. fucking didn't, okay? Right. Your five-year-old didn't. Right. Fucking sorry. Rabbit Karabekian and the temptation of fucking St. Anthony. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> and it does go back to the Rabbit Karabekian thing. And that's, and that's been, uh, thankfully, a, bit of, a, a good joke that we've had for many years, the Karabekian jokes. But I think... Um, you know, he is, he's really talking about this. Or the, or the thing at the uh, Metropolitan Museum, it's just a the pencil grid. Oh, you know? Maybe right. Grid. So, I mean, it's usually famous, and we used to have to, you know, walk past it every time we were trying to get anywhere yeah. um, when we went to the Met when I was in art school, and it was terrible. It was like, oh, we're going to walk past that. We're going to go see that room again. Yeah. You're looking at the map. Any way to avoid that room? Because you just <laughs> see all these twats, <laughs> you know, thumbing ass, like, fucking digging around in there, looking at it, like, talking about how fuck it's, or photographing it. It's like, okay, I mean, the guy was making a point, it's a valid point, and it was an art history point, and it was a criticism point, and that's great, 
that doesn't make it a great thing to look at. Now, the Red Snoopy Doghouse at the Cleveland Metropolitan Museum is, uh, the, 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 uh, excuse me, the CMA, is fucking hilarious and great fun and great art. And inspired state yes. to do all those funky dog houses on the ground. Yes. For, right. So, I so get that. That would also be considered abstract, though, from an art history well, perspective. Fun. So JP's talking about that that specific kind of abstract <laughs> that, that just sort of pisses everybody off. Everybody except people who do it. It's actually really soothing to do. To not be concerned about a subject. To just be so removing So essentially removing constraints. And bit. allowing yourself a little bit of freedom. Yeah. That's what I was going to say. I think sometimes, actually, I think all of the time, artists make art for themselves. Even when somebody asks me to paint Oh, their we're compelled. Dog, we're compelled to create. Yeah. We, it, we can't help it. It's like somebody with an addiction almost or, or a curse. Like, we have to do this. Tourette's. Or, yeah, it's, it's Tourette's. It's, it's a disease almost, but it's a gift. It's a gift. And I'm with you. I walked through, where was I? I think I was at the Philadelphia Museum of Art a few years ago. Yeah. And I, I like some abstract art. I like a lot of abstract art, actually. Uh, but I run into art where I'm like, are you, really? That's here? And I struggle too. I'm like, maybe, maybe I'm missing it. But it's just not for me, and that's okay. For example, it was this huge room. And I walk in, and there's huge, like twice the size of that blank canvas in the back okay, of the so room. Like, that's side. We put five. Easily, these were like eight by five feet. Okay. And there were 12 of them in the room. And when you first step in, they all look like they're white. And when you get closer, you see what looks like a bunch of pencil lines, but scribbled, not the same. Oh, and grid. these are very, very famous, too. They're, and it's the fall of Troy. It tells the story of the fall of Troy. And I'm like... As a history major, I don't know if I can what? take that. What? And I was like, man, normally this doesn't have subject matter, and I think I would have liked it better if it didn't have subject matter. So I'm with you. Sometimes I see it, and I just want to sit down and cry. I'm like, <laughs> why? Why can't that right. be me? But I think why sometimes you don't necessarily feel anything from the artist because the artist probably made it for themselves. And I think that that's fair. I think that, that, that that's fine. And, and again, as a consumer of art, it's about what I'm looking for and what I understand as opposed to what the artist is trying to tell the story or lack thereof or just paint something that they feel is pretty or what have you. And I, I can deal with that. I, I can understand that. It's just sometimes a front. Well, you know, that one example, what do you see? And I see it. I say, I see a fucking mess. Well, no, you don't. It's X, Y, and Z. No, 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 no. It's up to me. And I'm telling you, I don't fucking get it. But I understand what both of you... That I didn't know that. I didn't know that there was a difference. What you just what you just told me and what I was thinking versus I guess the literal school of uh, of abstract art. Go ahead. What do you got? Well, I mean, there's there's not really a school of abstract art. And by by the time abstract art comes along, art has become so postmodern. There are no more salons. There are no more schools. No one's. It's okay. a fucking free for all. Okay. By the time by the time Pollock gets to it, it's a fucking free for all. Um, nobody's, nobody's studying anything seriously anymore. Nobody's really, you know, whatever. You're either an art student and you're copying master drawings or, you know, you're hoovering schneef off of some hooker's butt and fucking spraying paint and, you know, cigarette butts all over the There's no more groundbreaking. Yeah, there's, and they're trying so hard to break new ground that they're just making a mess out of things. So, um, what we call in art history abstract really happens after 
after Impressionism and post-Impressionism. So you have Impressionism where the camera's been invented now, people can kind of be a little more free. Start exploring textures, they start messing around with uh, different types of paint, working with encaustics and doing things that, for the, the sake of texture, for viewing, not because they're trying to get a certain skin texture or whatever for a portrait. So we really moved from like portraits and storytelling paintings to more of an exploration of materials and an interest in light and in color. Okay. Um, and that's great. And then you've got like you've got post-impressionism, which simplifies it a little bit more, breaks it down into shapes. Cubism kind of starts to fall into that category. Um, and you have expressionism, which was huge. Um, the Germans were really big on expressionism, and to, to some extent the Italians as well, where they were they were interested in expressing gesture. So you'll see the new descending staircase. It's kind of cubist, kind of expressionist. And it's, it's trying to show each angle of a person taking steps down the stairs. And it's very interesting. Um, those are all considered abstract works, all of that. But, but I think when, you know, when we say abstract art, we don't really no longer mean the abstraction of, of a subject material uh, or a story or a person. We really mean art that has, uh, is lacking in a subject. Um, but I had a joke, and I was excited. I just remembered it. I haven't told it in a long time. I used to tell it at paint night all the time because people would um, always ask me who's my favorite artist. They always want to know. Yeah. Sure. Teacher, teacher, teacher. Right. What's your? What do you think is the best? So, so that so they can say, oh, she's so smart, or my five year old <laughs> could paint that. You know. Um, so, so always ask me, ask me, ask me. You know, it's you know I, I favor a lot of a wide variety of art. Um, I like art, like I like music, I like a sports board, you know, um, I like to, to I'm a gypsy, I, I move through things and I pick and choose things that uh, fancy at the moment or inspire me at the moment. So I sat, sat down and I was really thinking about like, um, who's really the best artist? So I would, I would ask people, what well, do you mean like an American artist or like a modern, like, you know, recent or, you know, you want me to say Da Vinci, you know, what do you want me to say? And I came up with um, the answer to the, the answer to the question. <laughs> Thomas Kincaid. Thomas Kincaid. Thomas Kincaid, the, the, the painter winter of lights. lights. Yeah, the guy who has all the Christmas stuff. That guy the at the guy mall. The guy who had all the galleries at the mall. Yeah, yeah. Uh huh. Fuck yeah. Yep. Thomas Kincaid. Okay. Thomas Kincaid. You, and 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 JP is the reason this joke is funny. It's true. I'm excited. This to hear joke why. is this joke is funny because first of all, if you are a quote real artist. Um, you you wouldn't deign to wipe your diarrhea stained fucking butthole with a Thomas Kincaid painting, okay? You wouldn't. This is I don't utter, own one, but I know people who do, and now pieces are starting to come together. To utter to utter the words Thomas Kincaid within um, a, a professional art setting is like you might as well just fucking leave the room in shame. So so it's funny because of that. Is that and like I, saying that Marxism is the best economic system? Yes. You just I, fucking pick I, I, up I your fucking shit and get the fuck, get the fuck out, out of here. Yeah, okay. I love to okay. And I love to blaspheme the art world. <laughs> you know that I like nothing better than to get those uptight, stodgy fuckers going about something. So so it's funny because of that. But it's, but it's also funny because it's true. Thomas Kincaid's work disgusts me on every aesthetic and technical level. I'm... I would rather be in a room full of, of light up uh, neon filament angels and Jesus 
then be in a room with a Thomas and have to look at Thomas Kincaid's work. Okay, I fucking despise it. Visual made, excellent work. If, if Good job. So, Good thanks. job. I got the picture. Yep, you get what I'm excellent, saying. Excellent, excellent work. Um, it's I, I, if it was on sale on QVC for fucking fifty cents, I'd rather buy the last dead mouse. Um, it, it's just I fucking hate it that much. Excellent. However, Thomas Kincaid is something that people can understand. Yes. Something that most people uh, find at least not visually offensive. If they fail to find it pleasing, Great point. they at least find it inoffensive. And Thomas Kincaid did more for the art world than any other fucking American artist ever. Because I used to go to Summit Mall when that place first opened, and I would sit there. I remember. My fucking snarky, smart-ass fucking art school. You could still smoke in there at the time. And I'd sit in there, and I'd fucking smoke cigarettes. And I'd look at, the, look at those fat fucks going to the time. Consume your fucking McDonald's art fuckers. You know, when I used to bat for the other team. And uh, years later, I look back on that, and you know what? Most of those people would have never gone to an art museum or into a gallery or ever stopped to look at art. And here it was. Someone brought art to them, and they walked in, and they were like, wow, look, it's paintings. Huh. Who knew? People still yeah. do this. Yeah. That's, you know what? That's quite a compliment, actually. Thomas Kincaid. It's, so, a great, it's so an it's accurate a, criticism, so but a nonetheless a compliment. Yeah. It's a funny joke, but it's also true. And um, most people would not, would not ever, they would have never set foot into an art gallery. And I, I wonder, all the hours that I spent sitting at Summit Mall, smoking my cigarettes, reading my Tank Girl comic books, and fucking flicking boogers on people because, you know, punk rock, I, I probably watched thousands of people walk in and out that door. And, and I, would have, I would have jerked off on the door handle of every single one of those people's cars had I had the ability to do so at the time. But looking back, it's like, you know, that, that guy really had a, really served a, a good and valid purpose. Yeah. And um, I know he, he got in big trouble for uh, securities fraud or something. And this is why artists shouldn't get into accounting. I mean, uh, I think that you know, that's fair. But I work at a bank. <laughs> I was just saying, I'm next on the list because I filed my own taxes. But, yeah. you know, I'm just saying. Um, but, yeah, so Thomas Kincaid, I mean, that's a, that's a, running, okay. that's a running joke for me. Uh, but I think that there, there's an echo of that sentiment now in this and what I do with, with the whole pain and sick thing. This idea of trying to make art a little bit less scary for people, bring it to people where, where they're comfortable with it. And, and in some way, I still am sticking my middle finger up at the, uh, at the art community because, you know, most people aren't going to go. Most people aren't, like, most people aren't, don't go to my gallery show. You know, most people don't come to my, people that I, most people I know don't come to my gallery openings. Most people don't buy uh, big art. I sell a lot of my large art to offices and corporations, and I walk in places, I'm like, yo, you guys need some better art, call me sometime. Mm -hmm. I mean, it gets me work, but, you know, this idea that you can bring it to people, and I think that, that that's, that's, that's huge. So I, I felt like if we're going to talk about this idea that it looks like a fucking mess, a lot of people who like that Thomas Kincaid Thing, look at most of my work and say, well, that looks like a mess. I'd never buy that. There's, there's a reason why I brought up Rabbit Karabeki, and for anybody who doesn't understand, I don't know if you ever read any of Kurt Vonnegut's work. Favorite book yeah. ever? It's my, probably my favorite my, fiction. My favorite uh, fiction. Book ever uh, is The Breakfast of Champions. Uh, I've never, I never watched the film with Bruce Hilarious. Willis. I have but the book, the book, it really, and in fact, Ray's the one who purchased it for me when I was in a really uh, in a tough place in my life. Uh, 
many, many moons ago. And uh, it actually, it, it was perfect timing. And when I read, when I read what Rabel Karabekian was doing with the temptation of St. Anthony and the two unwavering bands of light, uh, what's funny is the, the people, as Kurt is narrating this story, he's talking about these working class middle Americans from Midland City, Ohio, which of course is a fictional city, but nonetheless, he's trying to set it, it might as well be Creston, <laughs> it might as well be Copley, pick your, pick your smaller town. Uh, what he was trying to say is, you know, these people were kind of insulted thinking that they're looking at this art and the artist is trying to make them feel stupid. And I think that that's the case. Now, when I say uh, maybe I don't understand it. No, he didn't. Thomas Kincaid made everybody feel more. smart. That's huge. <laughs> cared about making money. Ooh. That motherfucker made a hand over fist, yo. Job well done. But I think that's a maybe a lot of people do get that impression that when they're looking at something that they don't understand, it's like you're trying to you're trying to get me in a gotcha moment. You know what I'm saying? Go ahead. Absolutely. I while she was talking, I was when she made the comment that he brought art to people. You're trying to make it less scary. I even experience it sometimes when I teach classes. You look at something as an artist and you say, you can just make that leaf with literally like two parentheses and you fill it in in the middle. But they look at it and they literally are like, I, what do you mean? Yeah. They look at you like you're otherworldly almost. Like you have some sort of God-given talent. It's bizarre. And, and it scares me almost. I'm like, mm-hmm. oh, you have a really high expectation for me? <laughs> and I'm going to disappoint you every time if you think that I'm just going to bestow like this magical ability on yeah. you. But I think that is why people are afraid of it. Why they feel stupid when they look at it. I can't do that. I don't get it. I don't know what this is all about. As if you're born that way rather than it's a craft that you practice and work at over years. And I usually tell people, what do you do? I say, oh, you know, I'm an, I'm an accountant. Or, um, oh, I'm a bus driver. Or I'm like, I bet you're really fucking good at it, right? Yep. And they're like, I like to think so. And I'm like, okay, well, how long have you been doing it? Oh, 15, 20 years ago. Great. So I've been painting for 23 years professionally. Pretty much full time. Yeah. And uh, I'm really fucking good at it. But I'm good at it because I do it for eight hours a day. And there's that 10,000 hour rule. That's And that's what it takes to become a master. So I'm always stressing to people that these are technical skills. One of my uh, patrons told me that she got, she uh, did some portrait work for her. And I sent, uh, sent them off. And she called me to tell me how wonderful they were. And the big gush, happy. And sorry, it's nice to hear. And uh, she said, you know, really, um, I got to make it down. She's a pharma. She's got to make it down doing your classes in Akron. You know, I, I, I had a great art teacher when I was in high school. And I, and I, I really, you know, it's 25 years, but I'd really like to, to give it another shot. She was, and she used to tell me, if you can see, you can paint. And I, th- I latched onto that, and I've been telling people that. So, you know, but it's just a question of how nice. long are you willing to look and keep trying? Yeah. And then you'll be able to paint. So, but I get the same thing. I couldn't agree more with that. I Listen, I've got a self-portrait that I did when I was 11 years old, and it's garbage. I know it's garbage because I was 11 when I did it. It was a self-portrait. I split my face down the middle. It's in terrible, like, Crayola colored pencils. <laughs> one side of me is dead. One side of me is alive. But my art teacher thought it was genius, and it traveled in a student Smithsonian exhibit for, like, five years. Oh, wow. No kidding. And then she sent it back to me, and I looked at it, and I was like, what? But in her mind, 
she recognized that I saw it differently than all the other kids in the class. She looked at the other kids in the class and saw who's going to be a mathematician someday, who's going to be an engineer someday. She saw me and said, you're going to be an artist someday. It does look Very different, nice. and, and you do have a creative outlook, and I think that's the inherent gift is you can look at things differently. But everything else, being able to paint, being able to draw, you, you learn that. Yeah. Nobody comes out. When you have to have an interest. Right, right. Some people, I know there, I know some people that come into my classes or that I went to school with, and I, they could be an artist. They could be better than some of the best people I know, sure. but they don't want to. No. And so they never will be. The interest isn't there. Yeah. I think that that's fair. Uh, before we wrap up, uh, you really want to get into this flat earth shit right now. Oh my god. Do you, do you really want to do this? We had such a nice conversation. I know, I'm going gonna... to fucking shit all over it. Oh, I'm ready. But yeah, the issue here for me with the flat earth, and the reason I wanted to bring it up, and, and, and just is something that I, I really, I there. really need to talk to someone, not necessarily who is a flat earther, but someone who who has studied these people. I need to fucking understand. Uh, for people who don't know, uh, perhaps don't know me well, or don't um, have just stumbled upon this uh, on this podcast, want to flex it. Well, my my other field of study is astrophysics, and I can very simply use the length of my of my stride and triangles to prove to you that the earth is a spheroid and that the moon is a spheroid and, and that it's real and that it's real oh, that's another can of worms <laughs> and that and 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 how far away the moon is in fact the ancient greeks were able to do this from by walking from one city to the next were able to come within a couple thousand kilometers of the actual size of the moon dimensionally as a spheroid they knew it's they knew it's it's how many gallons of milk to fill it up, man? And I just, I have a really hard, I'm having a really hard time getting my head around the fact that in fucking 2019, that we, we've got, we've got people who are out doing renegade experiments, trying to, to prove that there is no curvature. I, I don't even know. I don't even know. It, it, I just, need, I, and I need to know. I need to know. I'm becoming obsessed with it, but not in the way that, not in the way that other people are obsessed with it. I need to understand the um, the cultural phenomenon that is happening here. I need to understand the uh, epistemology and 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 the source of where this came from. I, I need someone to help me prove that this started on 4chan. It's a fucking joke, so that I can feel better about humanity. So. Um, yes, I really wanted to get into the flat earth thing just for a minute. I just need to know. Just bring me someone. I don't know who that's going to be. I don't know anybody who believes in that massive amount of horror shit. Our guest does. We're okay, going to turn well, it over to her. Go on. We, we, I want to hear this because I don't well, know Well, yeah, anybody. I wanted. How did it happen? So let me start off by saying that I love my father. Forever and ever, <laughs> <stars. laughs> amen. Bless that man. He's a good person. Noted. But I think he got a little bored when his midlife crisis hit. And I tell myself every day I'm thankful that that's his midlife crisis and it's not like a boat <laughs> or like a drug vendor. It's worse yeah. than a boat. <laughs> and I'm so happy I moved out as soon as I did after he decided that the flat earth was a possibility because now it's his full belief, and I think I probably would have committed. It oh. is. The flat earth is the gateway drug to all conspiracy theories. It is. So this is what's amazing about that, and this is one of the reasons I got so worked up about this this week. Um, I did realize that the, the flat earth 
people on the Netflix documentary. That was it was the gateway drug. Um, and next thing you know, you're you're fucking you're you're hoovering lizard people. Bush did nine eleven. Yeah, like. <laughs> right off, right off. David Ike. Yeah, right. You're you're you're, you're hoovering David Ike shit right off of the hooker's tits. That's what happens right after flat earth. However, <laughs> this is an interesting thing, and I, and I thought about why and I figured out why. So at least I understand why the how the conspiracies get out of control. In order for something to be so fucking ridiculous as the earth is flat, someone and there's some, you have to have a reason why. Right. Why, why is this information being <laughs> kept from us? Unfairly, <laughs> but I say. How this information is being, is being kept from us by who and why. And, and in order to make, in order for that to be true, you have to buy into all of this other ridiculous bullshit to support it. It's like it's fucking turtles all the way down. It's turtles. Yeah, and then the, the, there are elephants involved with holding up the earth. Right. The disc. And then there's the ice wall. Like the fucking Game of Thrones. Listen, can I just say that if the earth was actually flat, don't you think that some cat somewhere would have started just pushing everybody off the edge? It's possible. That's a fair point. <laughs> it's possible. Well, so and here's here's my other question. That I mean, if the if if the Earth is if the Earth is flat, why why would the Earth be the? I don't even know. That's so, a, you got to be careful even, how far you're going into the pool on this one. I, she I might convince herself. I don't want to go too far into the pool. Um, <laughs> but this is this is important, and this is going to sound so terrible, but I cannot help myself. <laughs> if the Earth is flat and Antarctica doesn't really exist, and there's just yes. a nice wall. Yes. Where the fuck did the Nazis build their, their base to launch their rockets to That's the moon? That's an excellent question. We demand answers. I need answers. Breakfast with Conspiracy Theories. That's your next podcast. Breakfast. Like brunch. I fucking love breakfast. Brunch with Brainiacs. There you go. No, <laughs> another, another phenomenal You're idea welcome. from this young lady. Serial and conspiracy. Excellent. Yes. Crapes and conspiracy. Conspiracy brunch. Mmm. Frosted. It never ends. <laughs> it's a gift that keeps on you frosted fucks. <laughs> or frosted 4chan. I think that frosted oh! that's, that's that's good too. Yes. Okay. All right. Well, before this completely fucking derails, <laughs> I'd like to thank uh, our guest Ashley. Thanks, Ashley. On. Thanks for having me. We really enjoyed the conversation. It was good to hear uh, all the things that you had to say. And if you could once again plug again your show that's coming up in Cleveland. Yes, House of Blues, March 20th. It starts at 7 p.m., 18 and older event. The link to that is on my Instagram, which is Ashley Deering Art. And we have linked to that uh, in on our Instagram page. Yeah, we'll link it. And uh, we appreciate you coming on. Uh, again, you don't have any other platforms, do you? Uh, you don't have your own website or anything like that yet? Nope, I'm working on it. Okay, that's excellent. That's fine. Uh, yet again... Ours is Jay and Ray Talk across Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And our email is jayandraytalk at gmail.com. Do you have anything to add? Um, I do not. I am between shows. I just had a, we're going to write apparently uh, some kind of a humorous, absurdist short story about my latest adventure at the FedEx Depot. Um, look for that sometime You're soon. Yeah, I think I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have Jake, Jake ghostwrite that for me. And uh, it can, can be, be pretty fun. Can be pretty fun. So uh, basically, it ends at something like the uh, the dimple, dimpy, dimpy burger scene from uh, Super Troopers. Yeah. Farva loses his mind and punches Leader a burger Cole, punk. Leader of motherfucker. Yeah. Did you ever just want to punch a burger punk? <laughs> so um, yeah, that's about it. That's all I've got. Um, we're gonna have uh, 
song here at the end. I know we're going to open with it and close with it, and I don't remember what it was, so JP, It's uh, Forever Fades Away is the song, and the band is Tiger Army, one of my more uh, my favorite bands. Excellent psychobilly band. Uh, I hope that uh, whoever listens enjoys it, and give them a follow there also on Instagram. Uh, they just put out a new album. As a matter of fact, I had a chance to listen to it, but based upon their prior work, I'm sure that I will enjoy it. Perhaps we will have so many listens on this podcast that they will send us a free copy. God, I would enjoy Yo, that. Yo, free downloads. That I'll would... show you my tits. <laughs> I'm kidding. That's up to you. That's up to you. So if you got anything else? No, that's all I got, bro. All right. Okay. Thanks again, Ashley. We appreciate it. Uh, peace, love, Chinese food, and anarchy. Yeah.